Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I'm your host, James Williams, and today we are going to have a good discussion with the host of the Mazodcast. They are guys that have been around for a few years, focusing primarily on Missouri, Missouri football, basketball, all things Missouri. They post one time a week. Really good thing to listen to if Missouri is having a big game this year and you want to listen to a post-reaction show to one of their games, I'd highly recommend them. Without any further ado, let's go to the Mazodcast. All right, joining us from is the host of the Mazodcast, or one of the hosts, Brendan Stenbergen. Yeah, that's right. Reason we have you on here, Missouri entering their 10th year in the SEC, had an interesting year last year. Maybe not the highest expectations. You have a new head coach uh, who is in his second year of being an actual head coach coming out of Appalachian State, Eli Drinkwitz. And then, you know, start off the season, two blowouts. Then you have a five and one stretch, then end the season on two blowouts. Bowl game gets canceled. Only had three practices. I guess my first question is with Drinkwitz, what was your expectations when they hired him? And how do you feel about him now? Yeah, so uh, Barry Odom was the coach prior to Eli Drinkwitz. Barry Odom was uh, what they're going to call here around here a true son. He was uh, he played for uh, Mizzou in the late '90s. He was on the coaching staff of Gary Pinkle, the longtime successful football coach at Mizzou. Um, he stuck around for around four years, and Missouri muddled through his tenure. And they were never particularly bad, but they were never particularly good either. And uh, they eventually decided to part ways with Barry Odom. He ended up becoming the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. And we hired Eli Drinkwitz out of App State, like you said. And uh, we didn't know a lot about him. Uh, He came highly touted. He'd only spent one year at App State. It was a very successful year. But uh, he'd only had one year of head coaching experience. And I think some people had trepidation about that because Barry Odom came on to us having had no head coaching experience. And I think a lot of people were like, we, we need a guy who knows what he's doing, but Drinkwitz kind of, he hit the ground running. He was a, clearly a guy who was ready to be a head coach. He put together uh, an assistant coaching core quickly and expectations were in his favor. I'd say they were low, um, you know, Barry Adams final you know, coaches don't get fired when they have great seasons. So obviously the season before was not great from zoo. Uh, Drinkwitz came on and, uh, like I said, expectations were low, and then the COVID year happened, and so everything got thrown into chaos. The season got completely flipped on end. Uh, they got rid of all non-con games, and they added new uh, division game or you know conference games, and so each SEC school had two conference games added to their schedule. And Mizzou, uh, being the new guys, drew the short straw. And we had these little schools. You may have heard of them, Alabama and LSU, added to our uh, schedule. LSU coming off of their national championship. So, you know, like I said, expectations weren't high. Uh, he ended up having a five and five season. And I think one of the highlights of the season was uh, beating LSU at home early in the season. LSU's obviously didn't have the best season coming off their championship, but didn't matter to us. We were coming off a bad year as well. And anytime you can say you defeated the defending national champions, that's a good thing. And that got people excited quickly. And they stayed excited because of the wins we had a lot of, we had a lot of close wins 
And one of the things that, that Barry Odom had happened in his tenure was losing close game, never losing leads late or just never being able to get over the hump. And it looked like Eli Drinkwitz coach teams could hold for four quarters. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of changes. We were coming off of a, a star quarterback in Drew Locke, who's now in the NFL. And we got this guy, Connor Bazelak, who we didn't know much about. He played one game against Arkansas the year before. You know, he's, he's coming in as a redshirt freshman with one game under his belt. He has tons of poise. Uh, we're really excited about him coming into a sophomore year now, redshirt sophomore season, because he just seems like a guy who is very comfortable in the pocket and will do whatever is required. He's very versatile. If you need him to throw deep, he can throw deep. If you need him to run around and hand off, he'll do that. If you need him to throw a lot of laterals, he's available for anything you need from him, depending on what the defense is throwing at him. So offensively, we have a lot of expectations this year. And I think, you know, Drickwitz is clearly still in his honeymoon going into his second season, but he's earned it because uh, like I said, we, we would have been bowl bound under normal circumstances. And uh, we we're actually we're going to go into a bowl, but uh, we had some COVID cases late. And we actually was, yeah, you know what about this. <laughs> um, so we didn't have that bowl game. But anyway, uh, people are excited. The real question marks Mizzou has this year coming into 2021 is the defense. We lost a lot of key players. Um, and so, you know, we don't know what our secondary is going to look like necessarily. We lost some uh, key players there and we're, you know, we're, mixing and matching and plugging and playing to sort of rebuild there. And if the defense does seem to hold and look favorable, then I think we are standing a chance of winning seven or eight games this year. Well, the biggest, uh, it wasn't like, you know, you're acting like you guys had like a two and 10 season the year before you were six and six. Um, Odom just kind of floated kind of in that middle pack there. He wasn't necessarily the best team. I think the stat I was reading earlier, he was three and 22 in his tenure um, against teams that finished with a winning record. So that was kind of it, you know, could beat some of the lower teams, non-conference teams, but when it got in playing some of the tougher teams in the SEC, didn't necessarily hold up. A thing that really kind of stuck out with Drinkwitz, Drinkwitz I'm just going to call him Drink. Yeah, go for it. Drink up. Was like his first recruiting class, like, you know, like immediately you look at like year to year to year, jumps up for Missouri. It looks like this next one's going to be, um, even better than the last. So I guess it looks like right now here with Drinkwitz, you know, a good start. I think Mizzou is probably going to be seven, eight wins this year. Um, if things really, really, really kick off, maybe a favorable schedule, you might get 10 wins. Um, maybe, yeah. Which I, I'm not saying don't be disappointed. I think you're, you know, it's a good stepping stone year. Um, but it seems like basically a question was with Drinkwitz because he goes to Appalachian State. He's at um, NC State before that for three years as an offensive coordinator i believe those were the years when ryan finley who's now in the nfl was there this kind of I actually had a guy from nc state on last week um mm -hmm. but kind of the questions of Drinkwitz, you know he's only has one year at app state which you look at the app state thing like they just were shuffling coaches in and out you kind of like you get a headache just looking at all the coaches they've had the last few years and he has one year there he goes 12 and one then he has one year at mizzou i think the questions are going forward you know, I think he'll do all right next year, do all right the year after, but kind of like what happens in years five, six, and seven as he progresses? Can he build a program? Yes, you can get talent in, but can you develop it? So where do you see that going? Do you think like, you know, they're going to be, because I think they actually, 
I don't know if their side of the conference is actually like they're not in the side with Alabama. You have Florida and Georgia, but I think, you know, looking at kind of those, they're kind of inconsistent. And I don't know if I really like either of the coaches there for like, like to go on an Alabama run. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a good question. And, and, you know, go, going back to what you said about Barry Odom and his final season being six and six, um, it's sort of a misleading kind of six and six because expectations were very high coming into that season. He had a veteran quarterback. He had a lot of veteran offensive players and expectations in that year were, were much higher uh, than just barely having 500. Yeah, he, he uh, you guys started off five and one that year and then he went on a five game losing streak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looked like you had like an explosive offense. And it looked, things like looked really well. I think you got ranked like 22 if my memory's right. And then you just, everything just falls out, falls off. Everything. And, and if you look back on a couple of Barry Odom seasons before that, that was very on brand. You know, he had done that in the past. And where in the past, actually, he had started the season really poorly and had four or five straight losses and then sort of salvaged his job by ringing off a total of four or five wins. It went the opposite way the other year or the last year of his tenure here. Uh, but it was, he lost, he lost a lot of games that a lot of Mizzou fans thought he shouldn't have. And, you know, expectations going into drink his first season were like three wins. So expectations were very low. So, you know, that five and five season may not look a lot different than Barry Odom's final six and six season. But when you figure in what people expected based on the teams that he was putting on the field, um, it was very different. And one of the things you mentioned, like Drinkwitz is putting together a strong recruiting class, both for the, the class that's coming in 2021 and then 2022. Barry Odom had never had a class, I don't think, that broached the top 40. Uh, he did not appear to be a strong recruiter. His strategy out of the gate was to go down into deep SEC country and pull people out of Georgia and Alabama and, and get them into Mizzou it turned out to be a really bad strategy because you just not, you know, the, the, down there, they've never even heard of a zoo. They barely know that we're still in the, that we're in their same conference, you know, and, you know, things don't move too fast down there and they certainly don't want think we're part of that conference. And so, uh, you know, Drinkwitz had a completely different strategy. He's basically said, we're going to take the SEC logo and that SEC brand, which people know around the country, and we're going to move it in and we're going to go pluck people out of Nebraska. We're going to go into Illinois. We're going to go into Kansas and get, players that maybe want to play for the SEC, but the Alabamas and the Georgias and Tennessees, they're not looking at. And so far that's been very effective for him. And, you know, having top 25 recruiting classes, you know, the thing about SEC recruiting is you can get a top 25 recruit, say you're ranked number 20 in the recruiting class, you still may be like 11 out of 14 in the SEC, you know, because the top like seven out of the top 10 recruiting classes will be SEC recruiting classes. So it is really tough to compete if you're, you know, hunting for four and five star players. And so the fact that, you know, drink reeled off a couple of four stars just last week, he picked up another three star out of Overland Park, Kansas today, um, the, the recruiting looks very strong, much stronger than we saw with Barry Odom. And so what you're ultimately getting back to your question of what do we think the next few years are going to look for, look like, I mean, we have a lot of optimism because we're getting, you know, obviously you don't know what these guys are going to turn into. Sometimes two and three stars turn into NFL talent and sometimes four and five star guys flame out. But, you know, on the whole, if you've got a team full of four stars, you're probably going to have a little success somewhere and you're going to develop a few guys who are good. And just what he's been able to do with Barry Odom's sort of leftover talent and, and the fact that we've got some veterans on our offense this year, you know, we have a lot of optimism and, and that five and five season last year, you know, it, it, 
there were some impressive wins on there and even some close losses. It could have been a, an easily been a winning season if, you know, a few things went a different way, but we've always eyeballed Tennessee. We think we can beat Tennessee and we think they're overrated every year. So that's again, going to be on our radar this year. Tennessee is like a team that it's like, it's like, it's a nice car, but it seems just like every year they just have like a flat tire. <laughs> I always compare Tennessee to Nebraska. I feel like they're the same team they're blue they were formerly a blue blood program and their fans still think they are um even though 1998 is getting farther and farther away the volunteers still think they're defending national champions and they're just not that good and they have had some disasters at the coaching front and they the tnc fans tell us every year you know watch out we got this new guy and he's bringing a new talent and things are going to change here in knoxville tennessee and they never do i mean we have a winning record against tennessee and and you could tell tennessee fans in that they'd be shocked about it because they have the memory of a goldfish they just don't remember that uh, they're they're no longer a premier program as a matter of fact if you look at the last 20 years mizzou might have a better football program they do they do that that's not even a question mizzou definitely does i mean like like pinkle was a really really good coach yeah, like he, took, he took over Mizzou and he just kind of it took him a few years. But then you guys are like competing for Big 12 titles. You're number one in the country, I think, in 2007. Um, you have like this awesome game against Kansas. The last like the, the greatest moment in Kansas football history where you guys are like, I think you're one and two or something, maybe two and three. Yeah. Playing each other back then. You guys both got 12 win seasons. Iowa State's like muttering at the bottom with like two wins that year. Yeah, that was the year that we really, that was the year that I think a lot of Mizzou fans were ready to leave the SEC, honest, or the Big 12, honestly, because we beat Kansas that year. And then ultimately it was a, the BCS was still how the uh, champions were decided. And uh, Kansas was chosen for the Orange Bowl. And we were left out. We were given the Cotton Bowl, even though we beaten Kansas, we were basically punished for losing to Oklahoma in the big 12 championship that year. And we felt like the big 12 didn't advocate for Mizzou at all. And so we said, what are we in this conference for if they're not going to look after us, you know? So uh, we, we got sick of it then. And, 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 you know, people forget like not just that 2007 season, which we were one game away from a national title. If we'd have beaten Oklahoma in the big 12 championship, Mizzou would have been in the title game. Uh, same thing happened in 2013 in the SEC. We uh, we ended up losing to Auburn in the SEC championship in Alabama. But had we beaten Auburn, we would have played Florida State for the national championship. You know, that that doesn't happen a lot in Columbia, Missouri, and Pinkle got us there twice. Yeah, no, that was the uh, – yeah, I guess I can just talk about this stuff now. That was, like, the thing, too, because I, I was kind of under the impression – it's kind of weird when you look at a lot of these teams when they join that new conference because – you're joining and you're basically going into a whole new environment. You're playing like nine different teams than you, that you've never played before. And all these other teams like typically have like one new team to scout. And in some instances you've seen where like teams jump in and no one's really had like instant success. Nebraska was actually decent at the beginning. Um, I can't remember how Texas A&M was. I was, um, I was looking at a few of these earlier today. They had Manziel started out with them whenever they joined the SEC, and they did beat Alabama, but they never really had much sustained success after that. Yeah, they, they really didn't do much until they just threw a bunch of money at Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> That's right. Now it looks like they're really going. And it's like, um, I think you guys are actually kind of close. You guys are actually closer than most people would think since you've joined the SEC. It's not like, like, I think the national perception is that, like, Missouri 
and maybe it's just the SEC hasn't like necessarily promoted Missouri that much, or you guys haven't been as like on national TV as much. They've just stuck you on like the SEC network. Cause I was thinking about, it, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I've watched too many Missouri games over the last few years. I remember watching like a few this past year. I watched the LSU game you guys had. Um, I think I even might've watched the Arkansas game, but like really like, so it was like kind of out of sight, out of mind with me for most of it. So when I'm going and doing this research, I was shocked years two and three, your second year and third year in the SEC, you guys are playing back-to-back SEC championship games, one against Auburn where um, you guys lose by 17, but it's a three-point game entering the fourth quarter. Right. Like you said, you guys win that game. You go and play in the BCS title game against uh, Florida State, which Auburn only lost that game by three points, if my memory is correct. And then uh, the year after, yeah. it just uh, – destroyed by alabama we lost to trey mason he ran all over us in that game um (laughs) and we had some run defense we you know things could have been different but yeah no you're right uh we we entered the sec our first season was 2012 and we did not do very well and i think a lot of the sec schools who also didn't know much about missouri that was what they expected they were going to see they were they were like okay we picked up another vanderbilt and it was that was foolish. I mean, Missouri had had a lot of success in the Big 12, especially in those pinkle years prior to joining the SEC. They should have known better, but it, it kind of benefited at Mizzou, I think, especially going into that 2013 season because people really did underestimate the Tigers. And that was sort of a, a miraculous year for them. They went and, and I think when people really woke up and realized that, oh, this is a pretty good team, is when we went on the road to Athens, Georgia and beat. Uh, the Bulldogs with our backup quarterback. We had injured James Franklin, our starting quarterback, and we still managed to pull out a win in Athens. And people didn't see that coming. And uh, and and after that, things rolled, and we would have gone undefeated in the in the SEC had we not missed a late field goal in overtime against South Carolina that year. Otherwise, we would have gone undefeated in the regular season in the SEC in our second year. And I don't think anyone could have or would have predicted that. Yeah, um, you kind of alluded to it earlier, kind of the, you know, the Big 12 not sticking up for you. So we're like, was Missouri as a whole just kind of ready to leave the Big 12 and go into a new conference? Well, yeah, I think the the idea that a lot of Missourians had was that the Big 12 was basically becoming the Texas conference. You know, this was a time where obviously there was a lot of conference realignment and there were a lot of television deals being struck. The Big 10 network was being put together. And obviously the underpinnings of the SEC network were being put together and the big 12 wasn't even considering it. They were busy dealing with the Longhorn network and, you know, the, the, the big 12, formerly the big eight used to be headquartered in Kansas city. They moved it down to Dallas. Everything was the center of gravity was heading to Texas. Everything led to Texas. And we just felt like, you know, there's no reason we, there's no rule that says we have to be in this conference. And there was a lot of, I think, movement to maybe go into the big 10, because I think a lot of people thought from a cultural standpoint, from a university standpoint, maybe in a geographic standpoint, we were more of a a good fit for the big 10 as you know, Nebraska went that way. Colorado ultimately went to the PAC 12. Nobody cared about that, but, um, but Missouri and Texas A&M went to the SEC. And I think the SEC ultimately wanted Missouri because they brought two big metro areas in Kansas City and St. Louis. And because a lot of the SEC fans were like, why didn't we pick up a Clemson or Florida State? And like, well, you've already got the Carolinas. You've already got Florida. You know, you, you, they, they were looking to expand their footprint and adding Missouri did that. So um, we wanted to get out. We, I think, you know, Missouri had done a lot of things to burn bridges with the Big 12 conference. And so 
uh, when the SEC came calling, uh, Missouri jumped. And obviously, SEC at the time and now is considered, you know, the premier football conference. And so people were pretty excited about it, but there was a lot of trepidation about it because it, there were question marks of could we compete in football? Um, you know, we talked offline before we went live about basketball. Missouri fans had a lot of optimism about basketball. That hasn't panned out as well. But um, yeah, there, there, you know, the, the Big 12 was clearly in disarray. You know, the, the, the amount of money that's been generated from the SEC network television uh, network has been tremendous. And I, you know, I think, you know, Iowa state could, would love to have some of that TV revenue that's coming in from the conference. Um, and Missouri has certainly benefited from it. We just put a hundred million dollar extension onto the South end zone of our football stadium. Uh, before that they extended the, the East uh, wing, you know, the East side of the football stadium, put new luxury boxes in They're building a new uh, practice facility you know, there's been nothing but additional construction going on since we've joined the conference. There's been this sort of like a facilities, you know, um, upgrade war, cold war going on and who has the best facilities. And, and I think, you know, you talked about having gone to Mizzou games when they played Iowa State in the past, you wouldn't even recognize Faro Field today if you were to go. I mean, it is, um, you know, it can compete with almost any facility in the country, I'd say at this point i mean obviously some of the the old parts are still old but i mean it is they they knew what they were doing you know it, it, there was a point where uh, some of the stadium upgrades around the country were, were trying to get as many people in you know like we're going to go to 100,000 there's a lot of sec stadiums that seat 100,000 people but as hd tv and all these um, other options for watching football increased attendance around the country has started to go down. And so Mizzou actually, you know, we had, I think a 75, 78,000 seat stadium. We've actually downloaded, or it's, it's down to like 65, 68,000 seats now, but we've got more premium seating. And so they're, they're sort of building the stadium out to what will fill it and what will bring in the most revenue. And, um, and certainly I think it's helping from a recruiting standpoint because it's wowing those kids when they come in and they see the practice facilities and the, you know, it, it's a, uh, it's something whenever you walk through that, uh, that football facility and see what it, it's nicer than NFL, you know, it, the, you know, the NFL can't compete with college facilities because the NFL doesn't have to woo recruits. They don't have the incentive to just throw a bunch of money into it. And it's like, I, Iowa state has put a lot of money recently into our stuff. Like, I mean, I used to work for the university and like, we've completely redid our, uh, our hillsides. We've, done a bunch thrown millions and millions I, almost, I think it's almost near 100 million dollars into a practice facility i don't know for sure might not be that high um but we throw a bunch of money into that and they've just been doing a bunch of construction there recently and yeah that's just kind of like the thing in college football now you just have to keep keep upgrading stuff over and over and over again to compete and you get the kids in there you got to get them uh you know got to have them throw on uniforms or whatever to see how cool it looks which i think is a really um, neat thing that they've done. It's a really smart thing they've done. Cause that's how like Oregon, I think yeah. that Oregon, Oregon has like uniforms to thank for yeah. like rise to success. I, I'm serious about that. Like, I, I know you get a kid growing up, like everyone loved the Oregon uniforms. Like you would play the NCAA college football games and be like, Oh, do they have like the special Oregon uniforms? Oh, do they have like the 15 special <laughs> Oregon uniforms? Um, but yeah, do you think you guys were embraced? I mean, you kind of mentioned a little bit mm -hmm. earlier, were you embraced by the SEC where you guys just kind of looked at as outsiders? They didn't want you or like, I'm talking, I'm not talking about like, obviously them as a whole um, wanted you because that meant more money. 
but just kind of like you know the the uh the temperament of other fans like how did they were you felt welcome by other sec fans no the uh (laughs) we came in at the same time as uh, texas a&m and they were pretty much embraced i think they felt like they had a culture that fit in with the sec uh no missouri to this day like universally dismissed (laughs) like there is absolutely they don't want us and but the fact is that missouri sort of embraced that outsider role now i think for a while there were some attempts to sort of like hey we're kind of fit in a little somehow but i think people are sort of like no we don't care we're we're happy to not fit in and then beat you you know and like i said we that we had a winning record against uh, tennessee the fun thing for us is our, our new sort of forced rival is against arkansas and it's only fun in that Arkansas is dismissive of us just as much as like an Alabama would be, but we've currently got a five game winning streak going against Arkansas. And we're looking to make it six, um, you know, and so, and you mentioned like the Oregon uniform thing, Missouri has embraced that Oregon model. We have like a new helmet every week and, you know, the SEC is very tradition based and, you know, like you'll see Alabama and Georgia, like their uniforms are the same every week. You know, they, they don't want to do that. They, they're embracing their tradition and keeping their uniform, which I think is cool. But Mizzou's just saying like, okay, we'll do something completely different. You don't think we belong anyway. We'll do our own thing. And, uh, you know, they've got some really cool helmets. And I think, you know, I know that, uh, you know, an Iowa State fan wouldn't embrace black and gold for other reasons, you know, other teams in Iowa that you, that have those that color scheme. But, you know, you have a lot of options with that, uh, with that color scheme. And so that we, we have done that, uh, you know, uniform switcheroo thing and, uh, and the, you know, but players love it and the fans love it. It sells a lot of jerseys and stuff. So, um, no, we, you know, there, there in no way has Missouri been embraced at all. You know, like people still say like, you don't belong. Why are you here? Why did they even pick Missouri? And, uh, you know, like you said, we're turning, we're closing in on a decade of being in the conference now. And this still seems like day one for us sometimes, you know, the, the Paul Feinbaum show is DSEC uh radio slash television show and paul feinbaum forgets we're in the conference a lot of times so no we're we're an outlier but that's fine who cares you know as long as we win it makes it even sweeter paul feinbaum like on on the show graphics hasn't put the missouri logo in yet (laughs) (laughs) no it's and other (laughs) and question mark no there's seriously been times where they listed out ranking as teams in the east and they've forgotten to add mizzou to the to the list I had that I had that moment um, a few weeks ago where I was listening to um, some people talk about like the ACC Big Ten like basketball thing, and they were saying like, oh well, Duke didn't like I can't remember who Duke went to play in the Big Ten for that challenge. But it was like, oh well, like Duke, I guess Coach K isn't going to have to go to Missouri because he's on his whole like victory tour, at, or excuse me, I say Missouri, Maryland, right, Maryland, and I was just like, well, wait, why wouldn't they're in the same conference? Like, why wouldn't like I completely forgot that Maryland was in the Big Ten. I was like, "What are you talking about? They're in the ACC." <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's hard to remember Rutgers. <laughs> I remember Rutgers because Rutgers is like uh, something that uh, you know nationally people have just you know stomped on and smushed with their shoes. And even though now like Shiano looks like he's kind of righted the ship, yeah, they looked like a completely different team. Um, do you think so? What's the difference? Do you think, even though it's been ten years almost, what do you think the difference is? Like basically, with the culture of SEC football and the culture of Big Twelve football. Well, I mean, it, it is clear that football is 
the dominant force in the SEC in a way that um, that we weren't accustomed to. I mean, and, and when I say that, I mean, just like football is more important than academics at the university's SEC. You know what I mean? Like I the Big 12, they have some good actual universities with good academic prowess. And in the SEC, that is not as important as having good football. <laughs> it just isn't. And when Missouri's upgrading its facilities, it is upgrading to catch up with, with the, um, with the SEC schools. And one of the things I feel like I noticed right away with the SEC schools is that a lot of the football stadiums are actually physically in the middle of campus, as opposed to like Missouri or some of the big 12 schools where they're sort of out on the outskirts of campus, where there's a parking lot and everything. Like you go to Athens, Georgia, and there is no parking because the football stadium is like right next to like the library and the classroom buildings. It's like part of the, campus in a way that it you know isn't in other places and you know and I think things have changed since we've been here with the SEC network which has had a huge impact on the conference but like it football is number one and then you know number two is probably basketball but maybe baseball but it's way down you know like it it just we for instance i'll give you an example i guess so you just look at a twitter followings of the football programs of the various schools and i couldn't tell you exactly what the numbers are but i know that missouri is like near the bottom as far as the number of followers that actually follows the mizzou football twitter account but if we were in the big 12 we would have been in the top third because like you know alabama and georgia football programs have millions and millions of followers, you know, and we're like 700,000, you know, and, and so it's just like the level of, well, you know, I think part of it is for, for Missouri, we've got the St. Louis Cardinals, we've got the St. Louis Royals, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs, the Blues, and a lot of professional sports, and Mizzou fits in there somewhere, but, you know, you go down to Alabama or Georgia, Mississippi, and there are no professional sports to compete with like the whatever the team the college team is that is the number one sporting event of the entire state and like I feel like Mizzou fans a lot of the Mizzou fans went to Mizzou or were university graduates you go down to some of these SEC schools and if you just live in the state you root for the team and you don't have to have an actual university affiliation you just live there and I don't feel like that's the case as much in the Big 12. I feel like, you know, if you, if you went to the school, you're definitely going to root for it. Maybe Nebraska, that's the case. But like in a lot of those schools, like, you know, if you're, you may be a Kansas State fan if you didn't go to Kansas State. But I feel like the bulk of the people, you know, have a tie to the actual university. Um, the SEC, it's just, it's their identity. You know, it's the state identity are the college football teams. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I really agree with that with uh, some of those schools like Auburn, Alabama. That's just their culture down there. There's LSU too, just kind of eat, live, breathe football. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the most irritating SEC fan base? Tennessee. Really? Without a doubt. Is that just irritating to Missouri or is that like a conference uh, opinion? I think we share that feeling with the rest of the conference. I think wow. that they're – um, well, like LSU fans are obnoxious, but there's almost a charm in their obnoxiousness, you know, like, you know, I, I don't know they, you know, they're going to eat gator meat and be obnoxious and, and like they're, you know, the women are going to be disgusting, but it's something just awful about Tennessee fans, um, just in, something inherently terrible and like they're bad people, bad human beings, um, you know, the, the, 
Tennessee fans, and I think part of it too is like what I mentioned earlier in the show is that uh, they just have this bloated sense of self-importance, which is not tied to any reality. And that, but it, it makes it a lot of fun because we, we have beaten Tennessee a lot and they gnash their teeth and tear out their hair because they, they don't understand how it's possible that a University of Missouri team could beat great Tennessee volunteers, but it happens with some regularity. <laughs> so um, yeah, they, they, we really, um, we really try to incite Tennessee fans. Last year, we went through this thing where like whatever team we were going to play up against, because like I mentioned, we've not been embraced. We created a graphic and like when we played Tennessee, we made a graphic that says Tennessee doesn't even belong in the SEC. And Oh my God. And so we, of course we tagged Tennessee, big Tennessee um, accounts and the, the, the response is exactly what we'd hoped for. You know, like, what are you talking about? Missouri doesn't belong in the SEC. Tennessee has been in the SEC forever. And like, no, I don't think that's right. Tennessee doesn't belong. We're, you just don't fit in with our culture. And oh my God, they just, they, they couldn't, their heads exploded. So we really do enjoy sort of playing into that and, you know, we kept that going through through all the season with basically every SEC team we played except Vanderbilt because it felt like punching down. Yeah, it's just like just like kicking a a dead animal that's barely alive if you're messing with Vanderbilt. But Tennessee fans, they just show up and they're like checkerboard, like orange and white, and just like you know, just probably have like a huge like expectation. So then it's just all crushed, and then they're like wearing this ridiculous outfit, ridiculous colors. <laughs> have to like go home and they're all mad and confused it's like you're right i actually think nebraska was like way way like i was looking through nebraska last night and like my i was like like shocked with how like good um nebraska was that's yeah. most of it's like when i wasn't alive tom and, osborne era yeah tom osborne was uh good frank solich had some good years like tom osborne was there for like three decades like it was crazy when you know uh number one like every year for like eight years or something um and then it's like even you look back like kind of like i've i've nebraska is one of probably the few like i'm kind of more well i'm des moines and then i'm also like go west iowa too and i have family in omaha and i have in-laws that are nebraska people so like i get a good sense of like nebraska um but like just kind of like my thoughts on them was just like you would think that you know, they were just horrible, but I was looking like Bo Pelini was winning like 10 games a year. Bo Pelini was actually like doing decent. Like I thought Bo Pelini was winning like six, seven games a year. And if you just, you know, have a few conversations with Nebraska fans, you thought like Bo Pelini was like, like, uh, Paul Rhodes at Iowa state for the last few years. Like he's winning like, <laughs> he was actually like pretty good. Yeah. He does love motorcycles and volleyball players though. He helped you guys win that game against LSU. <laughs> yeah that's true he did i'll, I'll give him credit for that <laughs> now you, you know tennessee i'll give him more credit for one thing the one thing i like about him is Smokey, the the blue tech hound that they have for their mascot that he's pretty cool yeah. but uh, other than that i've got no fondness for the volunteers in any way yeah um yeah the old big 12 north was missouri iowa state kansas kansas state colorado nebraska Three of those teams are gone. The other ones are Iowa State and the Kansas schools. Um, Missouri, Kansas. That was like a big thing. Yeah. You guys have played each other in football over a hundred times. Right. Like, you go and look at all the head-to-heads. You guys are just like way up there. 
Um, do you miss them? Well, it, you know, th- there is something nice to have a, a rivalry, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the thing about a rivalry is it has to be competitive. And Kansas is, we, we had a discussion on our previous show. Are they not, are they the worst division one program in America, but are they the worst football program in the universe? Like, are there galaxies that exist where there is football and do they have programs that are worse than Kansas? Because they have been so abysmal. And then, you know, obviously all the news coming out about Les Miles, just the stuff going on there is so terrible, but yeah, we, we, um, we do a segment almost every week on our show called Kansas news, where we basically find horrible, embarrassing news that comes out of the state of Kansas. I mean, this probably is no surprise to you, but like the, the whole rivalry dates back to the pre civil war days, you know, uh, where Missourians like rode into Kansas and burned the city of Lawrence to the ground. Um, and you know, that there, there was a guy <laughs> like, uh, uh, his name was William Quantrell. Now he was a Confederate, but he he burned lawrence kansas to the ground and there were for many many years people who would like uh, uh, like wave quantrell flags at tailgates you know whenever we would play kansas and and burn lawrence t-shirts and things like that so like it dates it goes back way back um and so it was always fun and you mentioned that 2007 game which was the pinnacle because kansas is never good missouri is never usually a top five program for sure so Number two and number three in the nation going into that game, we beat Kansas and go to number one in the country. You know, there's some cool history there. Um, you know, the, Missouri had another year where they were number one in the country in 1960, and the Kansas game was integral in that season as well. So Missouri is actually, after many, many years of not playing them, they're putting Kansas back on the schedule, both in football and basketball coming up in the next few years. And there are going to be a lot of people excited about it, but it's been so long since we've been out of the conference that a lot of younger fans, a lot of the current students, they don't realize to the same degree that the level of sort of hate and the the intensity of the rivalry that, um, that Missouri had with Kansas, but it's a lot of fun. And we've always said like, we, we think the rivalry should continue because you don't have to be in the same conference to play each other. I mean, you know, Georgia and Georgia Tech play all the time. South Carolina and Clemson play all the time. There's no, you know, the, it was just pettiness and Kansas being sort of butthurt about Missouri leaving that we haven't played. And Bill Self had a lot to do with that because he said he would not play Missouri, but uh, it's it's happening despite him. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun. And, and, man, I have full expectations that we will beat Kansas like we usually do. Um, I say that, but honestly, historically, the, the rivalry was actually very close. Missouri pulled ahead at the end because Kansas, as a program, is just absolutely tanked. I mean, historically bad, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys played Kansas 110 times. You guys are up in the series 54 to 48 to 8. Um, Iowa State is the team that you played the second most. But, yeah, you talk about the rivalries and stuff. Like, I don't even know who our biggest, like Iowa State, I don't know who our biggest rival in the Big 12 is. I guess Kansas State, and maybe you'd say Kansas, but I'm like, I really don't, like Kansas is always a team that like the last decade, we were like, all right, we win that game, especially the years where we were pretty bad. It's like, all right, we got one game in the bag in the Big 12. But like, like us against Nebraska, like we hated Nebraska. We almost hated Nebraska more than we did Iowa. And like, I got a taste a little bit of that. Like, I remember going to like the last Iowa State Nebraska game, which ended on a, um, uh, a failed two point 
you know, trick play two point conversion with us missing it, just, you know, our backup punter or whatever through a horrible pass. And it's just kind of like amazing, you know, you, you, you guys, uh, Missouri, Kansas, you had Texas, Texas, and those were like some of the best rivalries like in the conference. And we like, don't even get to like, I don't know when the next time we'll play Nebraska is. And it's like, I guess these last few years, these are their formative college football years. And like, they don't even know this stuff. Like, you know, I, I was happy though. I listened I don't know if I listened to all of it, but I listened to part of your guys' like post game against uh, Arkansas. And you guys are like, wow, this like might actually be a rivalry. It was kind of like when you run into like a, a ex-girlfriend, like after a few years and you see they're doing well, you don't have any animosity. And you're like, oh, good. Good. No, you guys are, you're doing well. That's like what I thought, like what I heard Missouri and Arkansas. Yeah. And it was really forced at the beginning. I mean, um, because we hadn't played Arkansas with uh with nebraska and iowa like that was really really forced they're like we're gonna put you guys like the friday after thanksgiving and it's actually kind of like they've kind of actually built up to it now and they actually like hate each other which is kind of nice to see from the outside well the great thing like i mentioned earlier with arkansas is that they think they should beat us every year that they're such a good program and we're such a bad program but like i said we you know we won for the last five straight years and it's kind of a yawn the games have actually been close and good but we have come out on top every year and but like you know you talk about playing iowa missouri and iowa state playing like, do you remember the trophy like there was a trophy with that game yeah i can't remember what was it was a big it was a telephone i can tell you the history of this there, there's a telephone and like one half of it was painted red and one half of it was painted like black and gold and it dates back to like the 1960s where there was like a Missouri Iowa state game and the coaches had their like headset on for like talking to the offensive coaches in the, in the booth or whatever. And somehow like the actual telephone wires got crossed and like Iowa state could hear like Missouri's coaches calling plays. Like they knew what plays were going to get called and stuff and vice versa. And like they had to stop the game and fix the telephones or whatever. And then like the next year it happened, like, in, you know, the other stadium and the same thing happened. And so sort of a, so like a joke of mocking this event, like they made a telephone trophy and they like for years and years, I don't know where it is. I get, maybe we had it because I think we haven't played you all in like 10 years, but I think Missouri won the last one. And so it was a traveling trophy, you know, whoever won the last game, got to keep it. Uh, maybe we have it in a trophy case somewhere, but yeah, there's like a Missouri Iowa state trophy that goes around. Barry Odom probably has it. Yeah, he's probably trying to dial Pizza Hut on it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you said that uh, Missouri just kind of dominated Iowa State. I'm trying to find the last time Iowa State. No, the last time Iowa State Missouri beat Missouri, I was there. That was the first game I went to, 2006. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, just looking at Iowa, you know, because I watch probably a lot of Iowa more than I should. It just kind of makes my brain hurt. I kind of watch, like, watching them, like, have – like not get to 24 points. And I'm like, if you guys get to 24, you'll win. If you don't get to 24, you're not going to win. It's kind of funny to watch them because sometimes their offense is kind of like a clogged toilet. <laughs> but it's like, they got trophies with like everyone around them. They got like a big, like they, they fight like uh, either it's either Wisconsin or Minnesota. They like have a pig trophy that they're fighting against each other, but they have trophies with both of them. And now they have Nebraska and they have us like a third of their season is rivalry games. <laughs> and that's kind of like the weird thing that's kind of gone with this conference for realignment is that like you just don't have that for some schools some schools do but like the schools like missouri iowa state like they just don't have that anymore no and a lot of the sec schools have what you're talking about yeah. you know like um 
I think Florida and Georgia, they call it the, the world's largest cocktail party or something. And, and they, like, um, you know, a lot of those schools, like every game they play in conference is a rivalry and it's a named rivalry. And um, Missouri, they don't have that. There was a budding rivalry against South Carolina. They call it the, the, the Mayor's Cup because both, both teams are in Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina, and Columbia, Missouri. Um, and but those were consequential games early on when we were in the conference in 2013-14. Uh, the Steve Spurrier years, South Carolina was still good, uh, but the, but the games haven't been that important the last few years, and so that rivalry sort of died on the vine. Um, I think if Arkansas doesn't improve and they're looking to be better than they were, uh, then then that could be a real rivalry. Arkansas does not like us for one reason or another. Um, I'm sure that it's because. You know, if you if you think you're better than somebody and then they routinely beat you, they can't feel great. Um, but you know, so possibly it is certainly the closest geographic team to us. We're far. And it, the bizarre thing about moving to the SEC is we are in the SEC East, and we are about as far west as any team short of Texas A&M. And you know, so some of the SEC West teams are far to the east of us. So yeah. uh, the geography doesn't weird. Check out through all this stuff i'm like why are you guys in the sec east and you're like in the midwest <laughs> i think they just didn't think we could win in football and they think they they threw us against alabama lsu and auburn every year it wasn't going to be pretty and that may be right i, I don't know but uh, yeah they we got lumped in with it with the east and um you know we've held our own and and i hope we will t- this year as well because the sec east is not particularly strong georgia looks good florida should be okay uh, but, you know, I think Missouri fans have their eye on third in the East this year. Well, going back to a talk, topic we uh, we didn't mention earlier, didn't talk about, I, I was just thinking about this while we were talking. Could Connor Bazelak be like the best quarterback in the SEC? Uh, it's the East. Sorry, I got confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's certainly going to be one of the most experienced, even as a redshirt sophomore. The thing about Connor Basilak is that he played one game, started one game against Arkansas uh, two years ago. He started all most of last year. Uh, everybody gets a free year of eligibility with COVID. You know, it's possible we could see him six seasons at Mizzou. <laughs> um, you know, theoretically as a redshirt and with with a free COVID year. You know what I mean? Like that's that is theoretically possible. But yeah, I mean, I think certainly people are going to underestimate Connor Bazelak. He's a very capable quarterback. And, and I think if you see Missouri bat football this year in big games, you'll see that he doesn't rattle easily. Like it, and I don't know that if that means he's not smart or he just doesn't feel pressure or what, but it works out great. Like he, he, if he throws a nasty pick, he, he is able to shake it off. And, you know, the quarterbacks always say you got to shake off those kinds of bad plays. And he's certainly capable of doing that. And the thing that we've liked about Connor Bazelak coming off of Drew Locke, who was a very strong armed quarterback and had a lot of success um, is that Drew Locke struggled with some of those mid length, short length uh, touch passes. And Connor Bazelak makes those throws. He makes throws in tight spaces that Drew Locke did not attempt. Sometimes Drew Locke struggled to see the whole field. Bazelak has good field vision. Um, he doesn't have the arm strength of a Drew Locke, but that's if you're going to give up a, 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 a skill set, you don't have to have a bomber of a thrower for every situation. You know, you can coach around that for sure. And he has a lot of attributes to make up for that. So we're very confident with Connor Bazelak. And, and we also have a couple of great recruits at the quarterback position for the years following Bazelak as a starting football um, quarterback. So 
we're very confident at that position currently. Um, we have a running back by the name of Tyler Beatty. He's got a lot of experience. He's sort of a small scat back type. And so the question mark with him is that if can he carry the bulk of the load? We had a very strong uh, quarterback in Larry Roundtree, the third uh, for the last few years prior to him. And they split um, touches. Uh, Larry Roundtree got a lot more than Beatty did, but Beatty is very fast and very elusive. And if he can, but, but he's not injury prone. And if he can stay healthy and if he can, um, up his workload, I don't think there's going to be a fall off at the running back position like some in the SEC media predict. So I, I really do think that Missouri's offense is going to look very sharp this year. The questions all come down to the defense. Yeah, um, I, I think the offense will be good. The defense has some question marks. We'll see. I think they'll maybe, like I said earlier, I think maybe seven, eight wins, go to a bowl game, a transition year. And even if I were going to go super optimist here with Missouri, you could say that like in a few years, Drink's got, you know, his recruiting classes keep going up and up and up. I don't know if I like any of the other coaches um, um, in the SEC East. Like you have Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen, who are kind of at Georgia and Florida. And both of them, you know, just kind of look like, you know, their hair is all messed up on the sidelines. They look a little crazy. Drink what's on the sideline looks kind of a little bit calmer. He looks more like, um, you know, a guy that's working at H&R Block. He's an accountant. It kind of seems like, you know, if you if you actually kind of even the skill level up there, just looking at the coaches on the sideline, you're just going to maybe feel better with Drinkwood's demeanor. I mean, I think they can compete in the SEC East in a few years. We'll have to see. Um, and, and yeah, too, you talk about the quarterback. Quarterback, you have that. It helps so much. If you have that position figured out and, you know, Missouri's going to have it figured out here for um, a few more years. He's like, I was looking up some tape of him. He, yeah, he's just got a talented arm. He can fit it in really tight windows. He can, you know, I think he, you know, and you're going into a new year with an actual off season. And I was looking up some of the quotes that like Drinkwood said about Bays, like talked about his like intangibles, him as a leader, just really, really glowing endorsement. And I think uh, Missouri's, you know, really pointed in the right direction with that. Yeah, we kind of compare uh, Drinkwitz to Rugrat from the movie Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know if the reference resonates with you or not, but he pretty much looks exactly like that. Yeah, you might have to Google him. Um, and he is. He's, he's sort of nerdy without uh, giving a damn about it. He, he's, he's comfortable in his own skin. He's got a lot of charisma. He certainly gets the players excited. Um and so, and the fans excited and, and it's translating in the recruiting front and he seems to be a good football mind too. So, um, you know, if, if the recruiting can translate into development of players, then Missouri's in a good position. And I think um, we continue to be underestimated by a lot of the SEC opponents. And so that always benefits us. And uh, the, the SEC teams, I will say this, every time they get a new coach, they think this is the dawn of a new era, a golden era for whatever program it is. And they think they can turn it around in one year. And certainly like an Alabama or an LSU or an Auburn, they can, they're only a player or two away or a coach away from making themselves a contender. But like the Arkansas, the Tennessees, and the South Carolinas, they're not going to turn anything around in one season like they think they can. And I think Tennessee always thinks they can. And they've been running – I think we're on our third Tennessee coach since we've been in the conference. And so uh, they just overestimate what they're capable of and they underestimate what we're capable of. And we've benefited from that in the past. Yeah, hold on. I, I think it's been more than three. Um, I'll check this year real fast. Well, you have Hoople, Heupel, Pruitt, 
Brady Hoke for two games, Butch Jones. Yeah, I wasn't really counting the interims. I guess you're right, three. Um, I guess we'll just kind of wrap it up here. I have two more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're just already on t- quarterbacks, rank these quarterbacks in order from best to worst. Drew Locke, Chase Daniel, Connor Bazelak, Kelly Bryant. Okay. Well, number one and number four, quite easy. Um, Chase Daniel was not only was sort of he my glory days of Mizzou, but he was the glory days of Mizzou. I mean, he he was always the guy who was sort of considered yeah. the undersized quarterback. But I mean, of all those guys, he's well, I guess Drew Locke is, but but he's still in the NFL. You know what I mean? And that says something. He's been sort of the perennial backup. But I always thought like if he got his shot, he would have done well. And there's a reason he's still in the league. Um, he has a lot of arm talent. He's got a lot of um, smarts when it comes to playing the game of football. Uh, number four was very easy to Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant was a, a raging disappointment for Mizzou. I think they were so excited to get a guy from Clemson. They thought they really got on to something. But I think at the end of the day, reality was there's a reason Mizzou landed Clemson's quarterback and Kelly Bryant. He, Kelly Bryant was a very good guy. Um, you know, I, I feel bad saying anything negative about Kelly Bryant because he was a ultimate team player for those guys. And he never had a bad thing to say but it just never translated on the field. He played hurt a lot. So, you know, some of his struggles, I feel, you know, wasn't really his fault that he had to play through a lot of injuries, but that was, that was a, a bad year for Barry Odom. And it was certainly a bad year for Kelly Bryant. It did, did not work out. Now let's see. So you got Daniel, you got, what, what was it? Drew Locke and Matty Malk, are those the two you left? Oh, with? Hunter Bazelak. Hunter Bazelak, yeah. Oh, you left off Matty Cokehead Malk. Um, you no, know, Drew Locke, um, well, I think the TBD, I think number two and three are to be determined. We, um, and maybe that's a cop-out answer. I don't know. But we, Drew Locke was a very good quarterback. He had a lot of exciting games, but ultimately he never managed to sort of break through and get that. We, we never had a ton of success, frankly. I mean, we had a couple bull wins and a couple bull appearances with Drew Locke. But, um, but he struggled with uh, not having the same sort of talent around him that a Chase Daniel did for sure. Um, he certainly had the most NFL, uh, you know, he had the arm talent, he had the size, he had all the measurables of more than any of those guys. Um, Connor Bazelak is, he's got, he's a big kid too. And the, he's got a, he's got a high upside, but I don't think the scouts would get as excited about a Connor Bazelak as they did about a Drew Locke, but he ultimately might be a better college player. Um, and, and, you know, being a good college quarterback and being a good NFL quarterback is not the same thing. You know, ask Tim Tebow about that. Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to see how high you had Bazelak. I kind of thought that would be the list. I wasn't even sure if you'd have Drew Locke just because Drew Locke's more talented than Chase Daniel. But Chase Daniel, the, the ultimate backup in the NFL, everyone just always asks, like, why is he still in the league? And I'm like, I'm like, Chase Daniel was awesome in college. He lit up Iowa State all the time. It was horrible when we played Missouri. Like I, I had the list up earlier of Iowa State Missouri games, but I remember if your if your NFL team goes, you know, starting quarterback goes down, and you need to knock out twenty four points to get a few wins until you get somebody in there. Chase Daniels, your man, and everybody talks about how many, how how much he's made per throw or per touchdown in his tenure as an NFL quarterback. And I mean, you got to respect a guy who's made tens of millions of dollars essentially carrying a clipboard. You know what I mean? We should all be so lucky. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, too, sometimes you just, like, stay in the league because you're a good guy. And, yeah. like, like you in a locker room, people like being around you. 
and like, you're a known commodity. You know, that's yeah. a big deal in the NFL. Yeah, like they know they know what they're gonna get when they yeah. sign you. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but whose team or which suffering do you enjoy more, Kansas or Nebraska? <laughs> well, it's uh, a good question because we do enjoy Kansas suffering a lot, but at this point, it's almost gratuitous. You know what I mean? Like their suffering is yeah. next level. I think there is definitely some schadenfreude about Nebraska not doing well because Nebraska went to the Big Ten at the same time we went to the SEC. And I think Nebraska, like I said about Tennessee, they have these overblown feelings about their place in the college football universe. And so when it's continually reminding them that they're not any good anymore, that does somewhat feel good. But honestly, since we've been in the SEC, one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, the SEC people don't know anything about any other conference you know what i mean they know everything about the sec but they barely know anything about any other conference maybe the acc a little bit but like you know none of us know what's going on in the pac-12 but um like i feel like when we were in the big 12 i knew a lot about what was going on in the sec i knew a lot about what was going on in the big 10 and stuff but like i feel like i've kind of fallen into that sec thing I'm like well, i'm not really even following the big 10 anymore it's like i feel like ohio state's going to be somebody for somebody to worry about but michigan stinks now nebraska stinks you know maryland why are they there you know um it, like i'm not even following i'm not even tracking with the big 10 and so like when nebraska's failing I, you know i'll scroll my phone and look at scores i'm like oh good nebraska lost um but you know what I mean? So I, I, it has to be Kansas. You know, I hate Kansas so thoroughly. And, and for them to just be, I don't know, in as much shambles as a football program's ever been in, short of maybe SMU when they got the death penalty, like th they're the worst. <laughs> well, they've actually, like, I, I was going through some Kansas stuff. The weird thing about them, I, I think when you're in the Big 12, I think sometimes when you, like, like, I think the downside of having these 14-team conferences and you play eight teams a year, like, there's just going to be some years where you have an easier schedule. Like, there's going to be years in the SEC where you're not playing, like, Alabama and Auburn and Texas. Like, you guys haven't played Texas A&M since 2014. That's right. Seven years. And, coming up this season, we're going to see them again. And I, I'm not saying that, like, the Big 12 has the, you know, the best talent. But I think if you're a team that's at the bottom, especially in a uh, football, I think it's actually harder to like build at Kansas right now than it would be like at uh, Vanderbilt. Because like, you're just going to go into nine games a year where you're just, you're playing like a pretty tough team. And it's not like you're playing like, you know, the top end talent that you would in the SEC, but you're just playing like tough teams nine, nine times a year. Like I was going through it and they actually... Um, I can't remember if Boston College was good that year. They beat Boston College by a few touchdowns a few years ago. They, there was actually a game a few years ago. I don't know if you'd remember this, but Rutgers, when Rutgers was at like their all-time like worst, and Kansas was you know really really bad, they played each other out of conference, and Kansas like beat them pretty handedly. Like, so that, that's kind of like the weird thing. Like they beat you know two other Power Five teams out of conference but then they just can't do anything in conference i have a few kansas stats right here since 2008 kansas record is 26 in 115 that means they've <laughs> lost 89 more games than they have won i maybe i'm wrong about this but i think missouri might have more big 12 victories 
than Kansas since we've been in the SEC. I think you're right because it's Big 12 record in that span is seven and 98. <laughs> I know we played a few bowl games. I know we beat Oklahoma State in the Cotton Bowl a few years back. Uh, I know mean, we lost to Texas in a, in a bowl in the Texas Bowl, but like I know that because Kansas has been so bad, there are a lot of teams that are not in the Big 12 that have more Big 12 wins than them. You know, in like a 10 year span, it's it's pretty pathetic. But, I, you know, I remember from being in the Big 12, I always felt like the top tier programs in the conference were could compete with anybody. You know what I mean? Whenever Texas, Oklahoma or even Nebraska in their heyday were at the top of their game, you know, it doesn't matter. SEC, Big Ten, whatever you, they're, you know, they're going to be in contention for a title game. But I felt like there was a much bigger middle ground where the, the teams in that middle Missouri amongst them could have a breakout year. You know what I mean? I mean Iowa State had breakout years. You know, those that you have the Kansas floating around at the bottom. And, and for a long time, Baylor was that team. That, you know, they were seller dollars when we were there. And uh, but the middle was pretty competitive, really. You know, uh, seven win, eight win, nine win type seasons I'm talking about. But you, you could pick any of those teams and they were all capable of it at any one season. Yeah, and I mean, um, I, I mean, I've even seen that stuff in the Big Ten too, where like, uh, depending on your schedule, you know, like like a few years ago, I, I'm not going to point out Iowa because you know people think I'm biased when I say that, but like a few years ago, when Minnesota won ten wins, you go through their schedule at the beginning of the year, they're playing teams that aren't Power Five, maybe not even uh, FBS, and they're barely beating them. Like their first like four games, they're playing like you know terrible teams, and they're beating them by like one score. And then they have a light schedule in the Big Ten. And I think part of that was like, they just kind of, it's not like they were bad, but like they kind of built confidence, they built momentum. And then they actually, I think, play Penn State and they end up upsetting Penn State. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of Kansas. I actually think they hired a decent guy now. I think they, instead of hiring like a big name that's like, you know, got fired for underachieving with, with uh, good talent. Like at Kansas, you have to... Um, overachieve with less talent yeah i think uh, by the way i think missouri beat minnesota in the citrus bowl that year that you're referring to the the year the gophers were good oh yeah 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 i know i was at that game yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah thanks a lot for coming on man his name is brendan stenbergen uh host co-host of the mizzoud cast i would very much recommend that for if, you, if Missouri has like the big game this year where they upset Georgia or something, be really good to listen to you guys post game. You guys have people call in, leaving some funny voicemails. It's a real treat to listen to you, man. Um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we do try to have some fun with it. We're the sort of the, the, uh, the rogue rebel podcast for the fan base. So if anybody wants to vent their frustrations and uh, not get censored, they can come to us. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Once again, thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about Missouri football, follow uh, follow the Mizzodcast on Twitter and Instagram at Mizzodcast. That is M-I-Z-Z-O-D-Cast. And as always, we will see you next time, hoping to get maybe two podcasts for next week. Everybody, stay safe. Have a good one.